0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week, we're discussing space and the government's recently published UK Space Strategy. With me to discuss that is Dr. Paul Bate, Chief Executive of the UK Space Agency. Dr. Bate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, getting. So before we look at the space strategy, can you give us a, a brief pen picture of the UK Space Agency and what its role is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the agency, uh, which has been around for about 10 years or so, grew out of a research council specifically for space. And these days it has a budget of just over 500 million pounds. And we're there to support the UK space sector, academic sector, commercial sector, and fundamentally
0: further the UK's ambitions in space as set out by the National Space Strategy. So that's the UK Space Agency. Let's think now about strategy. At the end of September this year, the government published a new space strategy. What's the thinking behind this? Why is a space strategy needed?
1: Well, for the first time, the government's brought together the civil and the military aspects of space. In fact, right across government, the the full ambitions uh, this government has for space and they're very serious ambitions to be a innovative and attractive space economy for the world to grow the UK as a space nation and what I'm finding as I go up and down the country and work internationally with our our partners is that this is a really helpful ambitious document it's helping everybody understand where we're heading in space and it's given there for people the the direction to see well this is things that are more likely to get funded this this is the aspirations that we have and it's the framework in within which everybody within the UK can now act and the rest of the world can see which way we're heading
0: so let's dig into it a little bit deeper what then are the, the key goals the key activities that are included within the new space strategy
1: well one of the best things I think about the strategy is it does set out so clearly what the goals are and how they're going to be achieved and a 10-point plan underneath that that picks out the, uh, the priorities. So to go through the five goals in the strategy, the first is to grow and level up our space economy. The second is to promote the values of global Britain. That's right across the world. Thirdly, is it pioneering the scientific discovery on which we have such a rich heritage and inspiring the nation? Fourthly, to protect and defend our national interests in and through space. And finally, to use space to deliver for UK citizens and the world. Because space is a phenomenal, wonderful thing to be involved in. I, I say that with some passion, but ultimately, it's the value that it brings to people across the set of the country day to day. And I'd love to talk more about that with you.
0: Well, let's do that. Let's talk about some of that value since you've raised it. What are some of those kind of societal values that are going to come out of greater use of space?
1: Well, reality is that our way of life on Earth depends on space. And that's only gonna increase over time. Space is woven into our everyday life already. Uh, the satellites that predict the weather, keep businesses connected and products moving across land and sea. And we're monitoring ocean health and urban growth so it's vital for combating the climate emergency. To give us sort of a couple of statistics on where we are today, satellite navigation's already supporting 10% of the entire UK GDP. And if we lost that signal, that GPS signal, it would cost £1.4 billion pounds per day. I and mean, that's a really sobering thought. But then if we look to the future, space is going to transform our green economy. It really is an essential component of, uh, of tackling the climate emergency. Over half of all the essential climate variables are populated with data from space. On the ground, the space data is going to power the smart cities. It's going to power driverless cars. In orbit, we're going to have robots that are building, repairing, cleaning up after satellites. And we look to the future again. Space-based solar power is an incredibly exciting, be fully renewable solution to the country and the planet's energy needs. So we can see spacecraft beaming down solar power to, uh, to Earth. And to put this in perspective, by 2030, the world's space economy is going to almost double to around about 500 billion pounds. So the question really isn't whether space is going to be more important. It just is. It's making sure that the UK is playing a leading role in that.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the UK space sector the uk space industry and of course there's a range of different industries here some of which are kind of based on the whole aspects of space and some of which simply have a component that can be involved in space but how does the uk space industry look at the moment and how can the the uk space agency and the the government space strategy really support the growth of the uk space industry going forward
1: it's it's a thriving industry i've been up and down the, the UK from the to very top of the Shetland Islands, uh, where we're launching vertically next year, uh, all the way down through and right right down to Cornwall, where we happen to be doing horizontal launches again in 2022. And right up and down, there is a huge body of SMEs, uh, over a thousand, there are scale-ups, there are multinationals operating in all All of the regions of the UK. It's really important that this is not a consolidated sector in the southeast, it really is right across the UK and in terms of what we do, that goes all the way through the the value chain from the the design, the manufacture, the launch from 2022 of, of satellites, the operation of satellites, we have really big satellite operators in the UK including of course in Marsat, And then for the value, if you like, all the downstream applications. And we have an extremely large and growing sector in the the database applications from the uh, the information coming down from satellites. So that full value chain is what we're completing uh, through UK launch next year. But it's actually I think it's a mistake to think about space only in terms of the organisations which are 100% space-based and you alluded to this. So we've got an incredibly strong financial sector in the the UK and space-based finance obviously really matters. Insurance for satellites really matters. We have a really strong legal system globally leading. Space-based regulation is hugely important there across agriculture, uh, across uh, urban planning. The truth it's Almost the exception that uh, that an organisation doesn't rely or in the future won't uh, won't need space-based data, and that's why our sector is is growing in the way it is. Forty-five thousand jobs, already sixteen billion pounds of income, and the the one of the statistics that that I really sort of had to me is there is no sector in the UK economy with a higher-skilled workforce. Uh, than in space. 77% of people working in the space sector have at least
0: a primary degree. So that sounds like a very vibrant space sector and then a whole lot of important other sectors where space is a, is a component. What, if anything, does government need to do to support this sector? You, you've described a sector that sounds as if it's in great shape, but in order to achieve what's in the space strategy, what does the what does the government need to do to to support the sector going forward?
1: Yeah, um, it is in good shape, but it needs to be really match fit because the rest of the world is also turning its attention to space, and we will would risk not making progress if uh, we didn't continue to invest as a government alongside the private investment, and that's a really key point. So. One of the key things that the government does and the agency does is bring the budget that we have to bear. As I said, that's over 500 million pounds. And we ask a really important question. How do we catalyze investment? How does the pounds from the taxpayer bring in the greatest private investment domestically and internationally into the UK space sector and the best contracts in, so the revenue side? And that's an important role for government to play, to catalyse, to multiply up the the money that uh, is being spent on behalf of the taxpayer. But that's not all. Government also has a very legitimate role in setting the missions and capabilities. And that's, again, something that the space agency executes on. I mentioned the UK launch programme. We also look at space based position, navigation and timing. Space security is a key capability. You'll have seen a couple of weeks ago, there was a Russian anti-satellite weapons test. That morning, I think it was, I got a really professional, calm message from the analysts within the agency, letting me know what happened, that there had been a fragmentation event, 1,500 pieces of debris were now in Earth orbit as a result, in low Earth orbit, far too close to the space station, too close to operational satellites. We have to have those sorts of sovereign capabilities, so that's important for our governments to play the role. It can't always be for the academic and the commercial sector to go it alone. But there's also an important role in championing space. Space is inspirational. i felt that since I was a child. There's a We're on the cusp of something truly wonderful, the first space generation since the Apollo generation. As we return to the moon, as we put the first woman on the moon, as we explore Mars as we go to the icy moons of the outer solar system and we search for life as we look across the galaxies we go further back in time with our observations than we've ever done before to the very early universe and the first stars as the James Webb Space Telescope launches next uh, well, in about three weeks time so all of those things are inspirational and governments have a, a role to uh, to champion that inspiration. That's something I take very seriously as the chief executive of the agency is that while we're absolutely needing to catalyse investment and we need to deliver those missions and capabilities, we can't forget the importance of appropriately championing space
0: and more than anything else, the value of space to people down on earth. And that message of inspiration is coming through very clearly from the remarks you're given. I want to ask you a little bit about the balance between competition and collaboration internationally. Uh, we were talking earlier about the UK Space Agency and you were saying it was important to gear up because other countries were gearing up as well. But of course, a lot about what happens in space and, and with space is international. And therefore, and it's, it's in the UK Space Strategy, there's, there is an emphasis on international collaboration. And from the UK's perspective, how do we go about this international collaboration in space?
1: Space is a deeply, deeply collaborative endeavour. Um, I talk a lot about space being a team sport. And I think I said that first, actually, at a foundation uh, event. Let me give a couple of examples. of this. So firstly, the International Space Station is a, you know, one of the most visible manifestations of international collaboration. I think it's a truly wonderful thing when, ironically, when there was an a-, a Russian ASAP test, at the same time, there were Russian astronauts, there were American astronauts, there were uh, a, a German astronaut from, uh, from ESA, all on the space station. It, it, it couldn't be a more visible example of how a collaborative space can be and is. And the reality, these, a lot of what we want to do in space is simply too big, too complex, and too hard to fund for one nation alone. So we do collaborate all the time. We are a founding member of the European Space Agency, a proud member, one of the four biggest uh, member states for uh, by contribution. None of that means that we don't compete well where it's appropriate to do that. So our companies, as I say, from our SMEs to our multinationals, are competing. Most of the money that's coming through space in the UK is not state money. It's commercially won contracts by British businesses out-competing their uh, their competitors around the world.
0: So you mentioned in what you were just saying, the European Space Agency, ESA, and the UK's long participation in it right from the start. And obviously, ESA is not a part of the European Union, but most of the members of ESA are members of the European Union and the UK was until recently. How has the the UK's departure from the European Union affected, if at all, uh, the way that we're participating in ESA?
1: Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The European Space Agency is not in any way a European Union body. It's a collaboration of 22 member states the majority of whom are in the EU, but a number of whom, of course we're the largest, are non-EU, so they are completely separate. Now, that doesn't mean that the European Space Agency and the, and the Commission, the European Union, don't work together, They they do. And what we reinforce at every stage is that it is very important that the European Space Agency reflects the views of its, of all its member states, and all its member states can participate in all the programs. Copernicus is a good example of that, the Earth Observation Programme. Um, and The UK's position is extremely clear. We want to associate to the Copernicus Programme. We have put the money up to do so. So it's clear that there are going to be tensions. That's a consequence of the world that we live in. But we have a really good working relationship with our ESA colleagues and with all the different member states involved. And it goes back to the other heart of it. We are trying to do these things together in collaboration. Climate change is a really, really important, good example of that. And why it makes it
0: so important that on those Earth observation programmes, we do work together. And I wanted to ask you a little bit also about politics, because you get the impression that space is one of those areas and it's been particularly in the past because of security reasons or, or whatever that global markets aren't always open and therefore government action and you know government politics is is needed. To, to what extent is government action and visible policy needed to ensure that the UK can be part of global space efforts?
1: Well I come from the health sector for the last 20 years. I started my career in, in, in science and in particle physics and astrophysics. But the last 20 odd years, I've been in healthcare. So I recognise how political a sector can be. You are right that there, there are politics in space. Actually, I think that's a good thing, uh, because politics is about the discussion and the, uh, the democratic process. And space is really important to people. The reality is that countries around the world invest in space. SpaceX is a hugely successful organisation. It has a very large subsidy uh, that's allowed it to, to make some real breakthrough technologies, not least in launches, as a result of its relationship with the DoD. That's just one example of how a state can work with its industry. So the UK is no different in that, in recognising that it should be supportive of the sector. However, the UK isn't going to pursue a, a process where it, there is extreme subsidy. That's not the UK way. What we will do, I'm mentioning this earlier, is make sure that each taxpayer pound results in multiple pounds of investment oh. and contracts. It's that catalysing investment, it's multiplying up, that's a, I think, a really effective way to bridge across between the need for there to be government support interest and focus in space but still taking the best traditions of space in the UK which is a really strong scientific and academic base combined with a very strong commercial base and our companies like Surrey Satellites pioneered commercial off-the-shelf manufacture of satellites. Collide Space has pioneered the, the CubeSat revolution. We do that because we have that commercial acumen alongside that willingness by the government uh, to play an active role in space.
0: Really interesting. Now, earlier in the interview, you mentioned climate change and you mentioned a whole range of different ways that space was going to help to tackle climate change. But I wanted to flip the telescope around a little bit and think about how to make space activities themselves less environmentally damaging, because, of course, rockets are... Burn a lot of fuel to get things into the atmosphere and so on. So, what's needed to ensure that future developments in space are not themselves damaging the Earth's atmosphere?
1: So, the first thing is to have a really strong licensing regime. We have that strong licensing framework in the UK. Any spaceport, any operator has to demonstrate that they have looked carefully at the environmental impact. That includes the carbon impact but it goes wider than that environmentally because of the, the biodiversity and potential risks and i know I, i've talked to our spaceports and our operators that they have been through that process and it affects the way that they then plan their launches i actually think that's a real advantage for our sector having that clarity uh, the environmental sustainability is baked into licensing makes it more attractive to external investors, because they know when they are investing in UK space, they're not just getting the best commercially and uh, a unique geographical position to launch going north for polar orbits, but they can also be confident that something being done in an environmentally sustainable way. There's some real pioneering work being done on fuels, not at least with companies like Skyrora, looking at recycled plastic as a, as a component of their propellants. So we're constantly looking at this while acknowledging that there is a carbon footprint, for example, associated with launch. But I'm really glad that you link that back to uh, the wider piece on climate change, because the truth is we cannot solve the climate problem without space. So we need that data. We need to be able to take those actions. And the space value chain needs to ensure that it's being as low carbon and low environmental
0: impact as possible. I think there's a really interesting whole separate podcast on the two sides of this, making space less environmentally damaging in itself, but also the huge opportunities of some of the technologies you were talking about. We don't have time for a whole other podcast, sadly, Um, but I am going to ask you one final question, which is taking you back really to the UK space agency. So over the next two or three years, what would you say are the, the key priorities for the UK Space Agency in order to help deliver the, the government space strategy?
1: Yeah, well, so that is the priority. We are a delivery agency. And we're right in the middle of their conversations now that their Treasury has agreed the comprehensive spending review with each government department. It now becomes a time for each department to work through the budgets for the next three years with all its arms length bodies of of which the space agency is one. So our priorities will always be subject to that process. But just let me give you a couple of sort of tangible examples. So we already invest heavily in technology and innovation, and we will continue to do that. We will look as part of that to how we can invest in a portfolio of projects that are sometimes high risk but also high reward and not just looking at the technologies of today and the big markets of today we will do that but things like telecoms and earth observation are good examples of doing that but also really looking at the breakthrough technologies of the future so i mentioned space-based solar power there's also nuclear propulsion in orbit servicing and manufacture active debris removal a whole series of potentially game-changing innovations that we want the UK to be at the the cutting edge of. And it's very important to to see the funding of those. So we can, we reserve the right to play and we grow our academic and commercial sectors to be able to do that. And going all the way back to where we started and talking about the first goal of the National Space Strategy, which is about growing the sector and leveling it up. That's also an important part of the agency's future agenda. So we're looking to fund 12 clusters 12 hubs across the uk so we're bringing together physically and virtually that good work that's happening whether it's in the central belt of scotland or whether it's in harwell or leicester or cornwall or wales or northern ireland a uk-wide agency needs to know its sector well but the true knowledge the the sort of the deep links are always best known locally So our job is to support those local clusters. And that's a key point and a priority
0: for the agency going forward as well. Fantastic. Well, good luck with all of that. We'll have to see how the next few years pans out and how the space strategy is delivered. But for the moment, that's all we have time for. Dr. Paul Bate, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr. Paul Bate, Chief Executive of the UK Space Agency. Listeners might be interested to know that the Foundation for Science and Technology held an event on EU space policy on the 15th of September. Video and slides from that event, plus all our other events, all our blogs and all previous editions of this podcast are available on the Foundation's website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, we'll be discussing new technology in the UK mining industry. And my guest will be Kevin Sabin, Group Managing Director of TSA Limited. Until then, goodbye.